there are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, my home base. As you know, if you've been listening and tuning in for a while, I am positively obsessed with the world of work and how people meaningfully connect to it. I've spent the last 17 years in the human capital industry and focused the last 10 or so specifically on learning how people experience and find meaning in their work. This week, I wanted to focus the discussion on the job search and trends impacting today's market and workplace. And as I considered who to invite, I thought of Matt Youngquist, someone I crossed paths with years ago. Today's topic is squaring his area of expertise, and I think this is going to be an insightful conversation for all of us. Matt Youngquist is the founder of Career Horizons and a recognized expert in the field of career coaching, job hunting, and professional employment counseling. He's joining us today from Seattle, Washington. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Elise. Good to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I think that we're all going to learn a lot here. I've got a lot to ask you in the short time that we're here together, but just to kick us off, if you would, just a short introduction about yourself. Say a bit about what does your company, Career Horizons, do, what kind of services do you provide, et cetera. Yeah, you bet. Um, I guess the, the common yellow page heading you'd find me under is career counselor or career coach. So for uh, many, many years, I've been assisting people uh, both privately with career issues, job hunting issues, um, as well as what's called corporate outplacement, as some of your listeners may know, when a company has a layoff or a termination and they're willing to to provide some paid support through a firm like mine. So pretty much what I do runs the gamut, I I would kind of say, of anything that has to do with job hunting or careers. Um, On one end of the spectrum, you've got the whole, what should I be when I grow up question? And then if you go through that, you've got, you know, resume development, networking, generating leads, and kind of help with interviewing and negotiating. So all that stuff is kind of on the radar screen and either helping people with that privately or through a company sponsoring it. Okay, great. Great way to kind of frame up who you are and what you're about. Perfect. And and what's your background? What made you start this business? And when did you start the business? Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on how you define that. I mean, I've had my practice now since 2004, so going on about 11 years. Um, I've been in the field of career coaching now a little over 20 years. And um, in stark contrast to a lot of the advice I give to my clients, I, I, I had no intention and didn't even know this field existed. I Grew up in Alaska, moved down to Seattle, went to school, and then, like many of us, got out in the real world, uh, didn't have a clue what I was doing, and after (laughs) bumbling around, I ended up as a little data entry grunt in a startup that did career coaching, and I just kind of fell in love with it, and it turned out to be just a great fit with my strengths and kind of what I like to do. Matt, that is so cool, a part of your background that I didn't know. So you were going to go down the IT route, is that right? Actually, it was more of a marketing advertising major, okay. probably going to do copywriting or something like that. Okay, all right, that. that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that you landed in a career coaching company. That's amazing. Love it. All right, but so one of the, one of the, one of the things... interesting things, can I, can I just mention, yeah, yeah, is at please, the time, yeah. which we're going back, you know, late 80s, early 90s, my mentor and boss who founded the company, it seems like ancient history now, but the reason he founded it is at that time, career counseling was therapy. It was grief counseling. Mm. And, um, so he had a whole oh. vision of what else can we teach people more black and white to help, and that just really resonated with me. 
Wow, Matt, that's really interesting. A little bit about the history then. Why was it about grief counseling? Was it more about people losing jobs? Is why it was focused on that? Or why was it grief counseling? Well, I think we're so used to it now, and this is a lot of what we'll probably be talking about, but back at that time, you had much more of the big blue and the long-term tenures and loyalty with companies that, I mean, if you went back to the books and literature at that time, there was people literally that would get laid off and wouldn't tell their family. Um, They'd show Uh put their suit on, go out every day looking for a job because of the shame or embarrassment or whatever at the time that you'd lose your job, and that's why anything related to career counseling was mostly therapeutic. And uh, boy, has that all changed. <laughs> Sadly, it's, it's much more the new normal now. That is such an interesting part of career counseling history that I did not know. So glad you brought that up. Very, very interesting. Um, regarding your company starting, one of the things that you and I have talked about in our, in our conversations that I, I think is very intriguing, and I know you just said you started your company in 2004, and, and you said you did it after witnessing what you refer to as the intense structural transformation of the job market over the last decade or so. Can you say more about that? What, what, do, you, what do you mean by this, and how do you characterize this transformation, and from what to what do you mean? Well, in, in fairness, I think I wrote that copy, you know, that tagline when I started my business in 2004, looking back on the, the mid to late 90s. But I okay. still think it holds largely true today. And I think as many of your listeners over a certain age can, can relate to, I mean, let me, let me put it this way. When I started in this business, the biggest argument about resumes was what color of paper should I print them on? Should it be off-white, white? Should I fold it in three? Should I put it in a flat envelope? And boy, did that go out of the window in a hurry <laughs> when email was invented. So we've come from a day when, you know, paper mailed resumes and even things like pounding the pavement, going into companies, meeting people, talking to them, you know, as that whole Internet transformed everything, um, for better or worse, probably worse, that's when you saw all the corporate shields start going up and this whole process becomes so much more depersonalized as talent sort of became a commodity because anyone could send a resume to anyone without folding an envelope, licking a stamp, paying 30 cents or whatnot. So what, what I've seen happen, I'm sure you've had just as much from, from your standpoint, is this whole notion of loyalty and tenure and responsibility for career management you know, has shifted largely from the company over to the individual employee to the point where I don't think it's too far off to say looking for a job today is probably more like shopping on Amazon.com versus the old days when it was like walking into the corner store and having a chat with the owner. And for people who haven't been out there in years or so because they've been working successfully, um, I mean, I deal with these people all the time, it's like an alien landscape. And, and they get out there and they just can't believe how some of those critical things have changed. So that's really what I'm talking about is, is that transformation that's taken place. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt, you're reminding me so vividly. I remember distinctly in the 80s, late 80s and early 90s, I remember almost all the jobs that I got back then, Matt, came because I went through the career, the job section of the newspaper, found a very small little ad that either had a phone number or a fax, or some place to send in your resume, and that's how I got my jobs. That's you're right. And, things and how long would immensely. it take you to, to scan that paper? Ten minutes? Yeah, maybe ten minutes max. And now there's fifty thousand job sites out there. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. sometimes, yeah, new doesn't mean better. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, such a such a succinct way to describe an awful lot of change, Matt. That is that's helpful, I think, for our listeners to really understand just where we've come from. And I think you're right. One of the things that I noticed too, when I talked to somebody who's been at, say, a firm for 15, 20 years, 25 years, and they're about to go back in the job market, I know they are not going to know any, they'll have no idea how to navigate that. So good, good reason for you to be around. Okay. 
<laughs> okay, well, that, that makes me think about, I want to understand your world a little bit better here, um, Matt. So in Career Horizons, what kind of professions are you dealing with? Are these mostly corporate America people, professional people? Are they all different kinds of people that you work with? How, how would you describe your clientele? Being probably a bit more of a generalist than some coaches who specialize in very certain areas, tech professionals or or financiers or whatever. I, I've worked with just about every profession under the sun. Um, in my uh, my client base, you kind of mimics the you know the general economy, or at least up here in the Seattle area. So it's mostly corporate America, a lot of tech, a lot of telecom, a lot of services. Um, you know, ranging from entry level employees all the way up through executives. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of mimics the market, and every now and then I'll get a pretty fascinating person who's got a background like a filmmaker or a, a knife sharpener or a rodeo clown. I think I had one of those once. But, um, but yeah, I, I kind of anyone who has any job hunting or career issue, I've probably dealt with that kind of field, and there's only a few pockets like federal employees or maybe highly clinical medical uh, professions where those worlds work in such a different way. I mean, I, I can help some of those people, but it's, uh, I don't get a lot of those. Mm. Gosh, you know, and going back to kind of what we talked about earlier in one of our other calls about just how it would be, wouldn't it be great if you can get paid for just having conversations with people about work? It strikes me that the conversations that you must have with all these different kinds of people must be so fascinating. I mean, I I would be endlessly fascinated by the different kinds of people that come in and they're, and learning about the work that they do. And that would be fascinating. Is it? Well, no, it's one of the parts of my job I love. And of course, uh, they certainly don't want to be paying me to just sit there and, and learn from them and listen to them, but that is a great side benefit is just, you know, you see the, the similar themes, but you also learn about some of these new new and unfolding professions. And, it's just, you know, I kind of feel like a journalist sometimes. It's just fascinating to hear all these pockets of what goes on out there in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I do have to ask the overall question just because that's who I am. I'm a meaning in work researcher. I do always, whenever I get any guest on the show, I don't think anybody's ever escaped the question, what do you love about the work that you do? So that's one thing you like about what you do. What else do you like about your world and your work? Well, what, what really keeps me going, and it's, it's funny because some people, I, I don't for a second pretend to deal with the daily stress and anxieties that like a true psychologist or therapist must deal with dealing with some really tough life issues and things. But, um, but to me, it goes back to, I just went, like I said, when I got out of college, I was a pretty good student. The only lesson I'd learned growing up about careers, thanks mom and dad, no, just kidding, uh, <laughs> was get, get good grades. And so I was a pretty good student, but when I actually got out in the real world, um, it didn't. It, I realized there's so much more to it than that. I didn't know how to promote myself, sell myself, interview, network. People laugh now that know me. I had a ponytail halfway down my back. I had a ratty cardigan sweater I'd wear to interviews. And so when fate intertwined, intervened and put me in this career coaching company, said, this is this massive life skill that careers and lives and families depend on, and almost nobody ever gets any training in it. So if anything, now 20-plus years later, as I look at how confusing it's gotten, I mean, I spend 60 hours a week at this, and I can barely keep up. I guess the thing to me is to take people who are so good or talented at what they do but have such little understanding of this world of marketing themselves and to help help them jump the curve so they don't have to spend months pulling their hair out or just battling that. um, that, I guess that's the reward is just seeing people jump that learning curve and, and realize the way you do it now is pretty different than the way they remember. 
Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting about that, Matt? A couple things. One is, um, similarly like you, I didn't have a lot of guidance from my parents about about careers. But the real the reason for that was because they were entrepreneurs. They had first a, a farm in Central Washington State, and they were restaurateurs in in northeastern Oregon. And the expectation for me as the oldest was, you're just going to take over the business. And so they really had no idea how to counsel me and help me think about this world of applying for a job for somebody. They just didn't know how to, to do that. And I think it's really curious that you and I both are in, we're both in a field where we really work with people on how they connect, how they find work and connect with it. Don't you think that's interesting? We both were blind and here we are in the field of helping people try to figure it out. Well, it's like one of those things like people have said, you know, for decades, like things like balancing a checkbook, although even now that seems outdated, but just all these life things you don't learn in school. And boy, among everything, I, I think careers are such a dominant part of our lives that, and, and to your, you know, to the point of your parents, I think there's an awful lot of people who mean well and try to help their kids or others, but, you know, it, it could be they're drawing from their own experience, which could be, you know, again, decades outdated. So I'll even have some people come in, especially younger professionals, that they're getting advice that's just really wrong from people who love and care about them. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just become more complex than it used to be, and I think people have to make room for it. This is a skill I need to start learning. Um, you don't just absorb it from osmosis growing up. Matt, that is such a great point because one of the things that I certainly have also observed is that parents, well-meaning, are trying to counsel their children about the job search from their own vantage point, which might be 20 or 30 or more years older than them. And and it is radically changed. You're right. I think it can be an unintentional disservice, (laughs) right? Yeah, I've even seen cases of what's called reverse mentoring where I'll have... uh, Clients in their 40s, 50s, 60s have 20 and 30-something kids that will give them advice because those kids may be closer to some of the technology. You know, not not every older adult like ourselves is open to that advice, but I've seen cases where it goes the other way, and uh, the younger generation can provide some really useful insights. Mm-hmm. Such a great point. I love that. That's great. Well, and that does make me want to kind of ask you, I'd, I'd be very curious to understand the kinds of issues that people present to you. When they come to see you, Matt, what kinds of things are they looking for help with? Yeah, it's, um, like I said, everyone is unique, everyone's got a story, but there's, there's common themes. So, I mean, some people just want very tactical assistance with things like write my resume or teach me how to use LinkedIn or can I do an interview role play and just get your feedback. Um, Others come in, and I think it's a little more high level in terms of, I mean, a very common scenario that brings people to people like me is they just aren't happy doing what they're doing. Um, they don't like the company we're with. The values aren't a fit, the culture. They want to make a career change, but they don't know how. Um, I mean, obviously, most folks don't come to me when things are going great, although I, I have had, for the record, a few people that are fun to work with that say, I'm too comfortable I need someone to kick me in the butt and get me more proactively thinking about what I should be doing now so that down the road, you know, I, I won't have a problem. Now, that's pretty few and far between. <laughs> but most people, it's about, like I said, figuring out career direction, um, cutting through all the noise and disinformation and misinformation about things like resumes and technology. Um, and we just figure out, you know, how much or little help they need and give it to them. And in some cases, they've misdiagnosed themselves. They may say, I think my resume is the problem, and I'll look at it, and in my opinion, say, you've got a great resume, but what you're going wrong is you're not sending it to the right places or you're not networking the right way. Um, so it's just, you know, anything under that umbrella. It's, uh, we kind of tease out what the issues are and start working on them. Mm-hmm. 
So you might actually see somebody just once, or you might see them over the course of several weeks, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm a bit different than some coaches. I'm not necessarily looking for long-term commitments or, or I hate to say, like codependent relationships because there's a lot of career issues where people just need an hour of good advice. And uh, so most of my programs are just pay-as-you-go, and I think people like that flexibility. Mm-hmm. I would think so. I would absolutely think so. I, I, I appreciate that you're not forcing them into some kind of a, here's what I do, here's my package. Do you want this package or do you want that package? Let's have 20 sessions and, you know, gaze at your navel. And all. I mean, there's some people who really want to do that, but I, I don't think that's for everyone. And there's a lot of much more acute, short-term things that, that people can need help with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I, I can tell you that for me, you, you remind me that years ago when I lived in Portland, Oregon, I, had a, I saw somebody who was a career counselor and she was tremendously helpful to me. And I was not able and ready to receive her advice at the time because she wanted me to kind of do what I'm doing today. And I, didn't, I couldn't see myself doing it at the time. She could see in something in me that I couldn't in myself. And it was remarkable, but I still re- revere her and remember her. And she was so important for me. And this would have been like 25 years ago. Well, you just hit on something, I think, uh, for anyone who goes into coaching or counseling of any stripe, I, they could probably identify. There are some tough cases you, that you go, I believe in this person more than themselves, or, geez, if they could only get them to do this, the potential's there. But that's, of course, you know, getting them and their confidence built to get there. So sometimes, yeah, you, you, you have to slow down a bit and kind of let your clients catch up. Um, yeah, and that's exactly right. Probably most people right. run into that. That's exactly right. And a perfect way for us to queue up for our very first break already, Matt. Time has flown by. Wow. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Matt Youngquist, who is the founder of Career Horizons in the Seattle, Washington area. He's joining us from Seattle. We've been talking about how he got into the career, what he likes about it. And after, after the break, I want to hear more about workplace trends and how they affect all of us. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. We're here with Matt Youngquist, who is a recognized expert in the field of career coaching, job hunting, and professional employment counseling. He joins us from Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Let's pick up where we left off. We were talking before the break a bit about how you got into the field, what you like about it, and we were just getting into some of the common issues that people experience. From here, I'd love to learn more about the marketplace and some of the trends. So first, though, I want to ask, and when you think about the work that you do with your clients, Matt, I, I'd like to have an understanding, and I think our listeners would appreciate hearing this, how would you characterize this? How, what sets people apart in the marketplace today? Why do some people seem to thrive and get several offers and others just struggle and they can't get an interview? What's going on for these people? Well, that's a great question. Uh, it really is you know, the <laughs> core of, of so much of the coaching work I do. Um, and if there was an easy answer, a magic bullet... Um, you know, I'd be a billionaire, but uh, it's, it's a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, for starters, the, the thing I, I said earlier that is so meaningful to me is the, the recognition that just like in corporate America in products, you know, talent and qualifications are only half the battle at best. So the notion that it's a meritocracy and the best people get the best jobs and the others don't, I, you know, early on in this business, I saw that there were some amazing people and qualified people not doing well out there and some people who didn't seem that bright or, or credentialed that were doing great. And so the, the, the secret weapon or the, the X factor is, does someone know how to market themselves? Um, put it this way, I would take someone with mediocre qualifications who knows how to network, pound the pavement, sell themselves, and who treats job hunting seriously versus a more credentialed candidate who is just doing what they did in 1993 or skating by with the bare minimum, thinking, well, the world should be beating a path to my doorstep. So I, I think it, you know, the key thing is, is you know, action. It is a numbers game. Um, you have to get a lot of stuff out there, fill the pipeline, and I see a lot of people whose just lead generation efforts are way too anemic for today's world. They just send a couple things out a week, and, and that's usually not enough. Um, also have to mention attitude, as, as you can imagine. That's a huge component. Um, mm. One way to put that, sometimes I have to sort of have an intervention with clients and say, you know, companies and hiring managers have plenty of their own problems, so they aren't looking for people that are victims or negative or, you know, and even if you fake it till you make it, they want people with positive energy, willing to learn, pay their dues. And, and trust me when I say there's a lot of job hunters out there who aren't giving off that vibe. And so that what they don't see is that the people around them, they're critical networking supporters. You know, if those people aren't seeing the right attitude, um, you know, they may not be making as many referrals. So that combination of, I think, both activity and attitude is the majority of it. And let's also make a little room for just luck. I mean, let, let's be honest. If someone is a computer game programmer and fell into it out of college, whatever, they're going to have a lot more offers today than someone who got into a field that, you know, has been you know, journalism or something that may be on the decline. And as much as people could say that was some brilliant choice on some people's part, hey, we all know some people just, you know, get lucky or get in a field that's hot and others not. And, you can't really control that. But there is a lot that is under your control as far as attitude and how you attack this problem every day. Mm. I'm really glad you brought that up. I, I do think it's very hard. And when people start to go in that downward spiral and they don't realize just how negative they are being, 
you know, then things start happening poorly around them and they don't understand why. And I even saw that, Matt, when I was doing my meeting and work research and would interview people. And, you know, it was the spectrum from people very, very, you know, euphoric about their work, love what they were doing, all the way down to, you know, in in existential crisis is what I called it. And some of those people, when they got their their results back, said, I didn't realize how much I was manifesting um, you know, negativity. And now I can understand why maybe people are responding to me the way that they are. So I think that is such a powerful point to consider people's attitudes, their perspectives, wh- how they're impacting other people at work. I, that is so important, I think. And I'm not being Pollyanna about that. There's some people who really have legitimate reasons to feel crummy, but I, I sure. think you fake it till you make it and you just realize, I mean, human nature, people like to help people who seem upbeat in control and winning the game. And you know, one, one real quick example of where that manifests is, is 99 out of 100 people that come to me that, let's say, have gone through a layoff. And I say, well, what happened at your last company? They kind of get tight-lipped and they clam up and they go, there was a layoff and my job was cut. And then I say to them, do you think that makes me want to hire you anymore? And they go, well, I guess not. So they say, what else could I say? And I'll say, why don't you say you had a great seven-year run there, worked for some great people, learned a ton. Uh, there was some turbulence. Uh, your job did get eliminated, but you're looking forward. you got great references, and you can't wait to take everything you learned and find a new company who can benefit from it. And no one ever says anything like that because they're so <laughs> oriented to, I've got to be defensive and I don't want to talk about this. But someone who's got that more you know, glass-half-full outlook might be sending those kind of messages and just recruiters lap them up because that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Totally People get it. well-adjusted totally and rolling with change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So important today. We know that. That's part of what I wanted to cover. And, and to cue us up for that, the next thing I want to talk about, a little bit sensitive here, but what do you think is going on with the market today compared to maybe a few years back when the big recession hit? Do you feel like we fully recovered? What's your perspective on the health of the economy, if you will? That's People back to work, question. that kind of stuff. <laughs> a lot. I know that's a big one and kind of a heavy one, I know. Well, it's, it's a big one, and the problem is I just, I, in, in my heart of hearts, I mean, I, I, I will say, yeah, no question we're in a far better place overall than we were in 2008 or, you know, 2001. I mean, the, the, on most indicators, the market's a lot better, but I, I can't gush about that because there's still far too many people out there who are severely, you know, underemployed or unemployed or in really tough situations, so... Um, you know, if you're unemployed, the unemployment rate is 100% as far as you're concerned. Right. So in, in general, the market is better. The thing that does concern me, though, is I think there's a real hangover effect happening from these last couple recessions, like 2008, where despite things being better, I just, I mean, tell me if you disagree, I think companies are clinging to this risk aversion because of the uncertainty and everything they went through, where they're afraid to take chances on people hire anybody who's not an absolute slam-dunk fit, can contribute instantly. And so, you know, jobs go unfilled for months and months despite all these people available because I think people are still companies like, you know, are clinging to those purse strings or just saying, wait until you find, you know, someone who's perfect versus bringing someone in now. And that was kind of a recession mentality, and I still see us kind of stuck in that. And uh, I hope we can kind of move past that. I sense sense? that I sense the same thing, Matt. I don't have anything but anecdotal evidence on that, but I sense the same thing. Yes, still very cautious, very wary. Learn to work with less is more. Yeah, working their staff to death, and I've got, like I said, a lot of clients coming to me that are working, just saying, "I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I'm working 65 hour weeks or whatever," 
And I wish, I wish because the economy's improved, some companies would say, let's get so-and-so an assistant or hire, you know, we made them do the job of three people six years ago, let's now go the other way. And I just don't see that happening as much as I'd like to. Mm. You know, I will also echo that. I had a guest named Dan Schabel on the, on the, um, on the radio show a few weeks back. He wrote um, Promote Yourself, and among other things, but he does a lot of workplace trending, and he was saying something similar that, yes, people, the average work week has definitely increased. People are definitely feeling more stressed. They've got more on their plate. They're, they're, they are working more hours, yeah. Yeah, I think there's this real poverty consciousness or whatever is going on, and it, you know, there's exceptions to it, but um, so that, that's kind of the mixed message is I think we've got, in some sense, the economy seems to be doing well but let's not for a second pretend there's not some scary things going on underneath that as far as, again, certain groups of people being marginalized or a lot of the temp and contract work that makes the numbers look better but isn't very stable. And I, so I've, you know, I've just got to always kind of have mixed feelings about that as I talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a well, simple issue. Yeah, well, I think it's a very, very complex issue, and and it gets me to the next thing I want I want to talk about here. I, I it's relative to the marketplace, and also kind of thinking about where we've come from and maybe where we might be going. And so, when I think about the fact that you and I were both working in Seattle during that in- the intense boom years of the late nineteen nineties, that was just a wild ride. I mean, that's when I got into the human capital space. I was recruiting IT people. By the way, I mean it was crazy. Um, but since then, of course, I've read books like you know Dan Dan Pink and his Free Agent Nation. I've read yeah. Right Brain Right Brain Thinking and Drive. Those other books too, and it seems to me that the time period that time period the nineties fundamentally altered the way people experience and connect to the work. Maybe I don't know. What, we'll see what you think. So what I want to understand is. What is your perspective about how the how the world of work is changing for people? And maybe can you cascade it forward into maybe you know, like 2017 to 2020? Take us into the future. What do you what do you think is going to happen for people then? Mm, that's an interesting one. Um, well, let's see. I read a lot of those books. I see a lot of those trends and these futurists kind of predicting where everything's going. I, I guess my first and your guests are going to think you know what a what a grumpy contrarian this guy is, but. <laughs> I, you know, I always take that stuff with a grain of salt because I think so much of that literature and these mag, you know, Fast Company magazine or all these books, it, it seems like they were all written in the Bay Area high tech zone because they seem to me to all be about people who want to be in sexy tech startups or things. And I, I guess I say that like I was on a panel once of someone that said to an audience of about 200 people at a university here, everyone needs to have a blog today that that's a fundamental part of your marketing. Everyone should go home, write a blog. And, and I had to politely say, well, that woman there is probably a critical care nurse. That guy's a welder. That guy is a mechanic at Boeing. I'm sorry, you think everyone needs to go home and write articles on a blog about this stuff? I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that. So I think we've got to watch some of that effect that we're just talking about a, a fairly minor segment of the market that really is in the go, 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 white-collar tech bubble, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I see things like books about, you know, the rise of the creative class or that the artists and thought leaders and right brain are going to take over the world. Hey, there's some of those trends, but let's not forget there's an awful lot of, I've got a lot of those people that are struggling to find work. The people I don't see struggling are people like nurses, auto mechanics, chefs, um, people who have just good old-fashioned down-to-earth skills that solve a, a, a problem. So I would first draw a little bit of a dichotomy there. Does that make sense? It does. It's beautiful. 
I, I just read these things. Um, that being said, uh, there's another quote I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. When I was on vacation recently and read a Seth Godin book, I think it was Lynchpin, and he yeah. had a quote that said something like, there are fewer and fewer great jobs left where someone tells you what to do all day. Um, I think there's some truth in that. I, I see people looking to go in as a soldier and, and for these higher-paid, white-class, white-collar jobs and be told, here's what you need to do. And I do think people need to be more enterprising, entrepreneurial, self-starters. But I, I don't think that's the whole economy. I think there's plenty of people who are going to do great if they get in a, in a vocation or something that doesn't have all that, you know, all that veneer to it. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on that. Mm, I like it. It's um, honestly, it's very sound, practical perspective and advice. I that I'm not surprised, and well, that's why I wanted to ask you because changing, this is you are. It's not like in 2017 we're all going to be writing hovercrafts and you know <laughs> telepathically sending resume. I mean, it's not going to be changing. Just like people have predicted the death of the resume for the whole 20 plus years I've been in this business. You know, it's. You know, LinkedIn's going to replace it, and Facebook's going to replace it, and the resume is a stubborn animal. It's still around, and companies demand them. So mm-hmm. I, I'm a little slower to buy into all the hype around this stuff, but there, you know, there is some change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're kind of talking about the next thing I wanted to get into, and that is the world of social media. I mean, most of us, I know I'm very active on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, less so on Facebook, but... Uh, it is interesting. So where do you think technology and, and social media specifically fit into the picture of job search and, and, and the workplace? Yeah, I mean, even, even down to, to entry-level jobs or vocational jobs, there's no question technology you know, rules the roost. It, it, you almost can't look for a job today without the Internet or something like that just because of, of how things have evolved. Um, I guess where, again, I kind of straddle the line is, is sometimes when I'll talk about LinkedIn or, or do presentations, I'll kind of use the punchline, uh, you know, I love technology, but I'm not in love with technology. So I, I'm pretty good with most technology, but if it can't do something practical, useful that we couldn't do without it, I, I see far too many people in too many books suggesting people waste thousands of hours tweeting and Facebooking and all this stuff versus sticking to the fundamentals of what it takes to get a job, calling people, networking. So like if we, if we single out social media in particular, to me I think uh, a, a common misunderstanding about it, at least from my standpoint, is social media isn't about technology, it's about people. So hmm. whether Facebook or LinkedIn or you name it, it, the arguments about which one's better than the rest, that's kind of that's old hat. Now the question is, I don't care how you do it, but what methods are you using to build a large base of allies and supporters and to communicate with them regularly? If you can do that without technology, great. But if, like many of us, LinkedIn and other sites allow you to get to more people and keep in better touch with them, that's really the utility or the value of them. Does that make sense? It does, and beautifully, beautifully said. It's always to me, what's the end result in mind? We're not just surfing all these sites just for, our, for the fun of it. It's like what... And, uh, and so, yeah, technology is here to stay. It would be pretty hard to run a job hunt without it, but know why you're using it and what the purpose is, I think, for best results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about generations in the workplace. You, t- you hit social media and some technology. Another big hot topic that people like to hear about is, is generations. And specifically, the one I want to talk about really right now is, is, is Generation Z. So I've read a little bit of work from Dan Schauble. He's got a... Uh, workplace trends out there that he talks about trends and such and puts his research out. And and he talks about how companies today are already looking to hire Generation Z, which are those people that are born between 1995 and 2010, 
they're into into internships. Now, my 12-year-old daughter fits into that camp, so I'm, you know, they, he's got my interest. I'd like to hear your perspective on how you see generations engaging differently in the work today, especially how they might seek and keep their jobs, those younger generations, Z and I guess the specifically Z I lost would be track of what they're all called Z Y X. Yeah, so Z are the, the the it would be you know literally these people that are just coming out of high school and and college right now. Got it. Yeah, that, 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 that's an interesting question, especially because as my historical client base, which has been you know uh, baby boomers, you know some of them are near a retirement age. I mean, guess who the new crop of clients is? I'm getting a lot of their children, so they're sending me their twenty somethings, their new grads for help, which has been a really interesting and fun audience to work with because, you know, it's just a different stage of life and different challenge. Um, I, I think one thing people have to keep in mind, I mean, I, I don't think the differences between generations are often as stark as some books would have you believe, like we're alien life forms and a 32-year-old can't relate to a 52-year-old. I think a lot of this stuff that gets said there is stage of life stuff. You know, when you're in your 20s, for most people, this is a generalization, but you're swinging single and you don't have a mortgage or these, you know, you're going to be much more into things like, you know, heavy travel or consulting companies or startups. And then as you settle down, have kids, I mean, you know, your priorities change and you think more. And then you get later in life and then you're thinking, oh, do I have enough money to retire or what am I going to do into my golden years that's going to keep me fulfilled? So I think a lot of that gets swept under the rug, that these are just predictable patterns as people get older, their priorities change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, there's definitely some things everyone knows about, yes, most Generation Z people grew up with technology, so when they want to know what time it is, they look at their phone, they don't check their watch. Um, if if they're on a date, I've seen people sitting there face-to-face texting each other on a date. I mean, the part of me that sounds like the old coot goes, that's ridiculous, but... You see some of that going on, and I think the big one is that having gone through some of these recessions, I don't think younger people have as much sense of loyalty. I'm sorry, that's the wrong way to put it. They don't have the expectation that they're going to sit in one place for 10 years in a company, climb the ladder. They just grew up at a time that they say, all oh, the change, turbulence. So I, th- I think they're just more adaptable, for better or worse, to rolling with the punches. Um, they're not as easily impressed by hierarchy, authority, um, they want to work in companies that they feel connected to, and I guess I kind of finished that thought. I saw a survey recently by the website Glassdoor.com that I, I have no idea how it was conducted, but it said um, 64% of millennials say they'd rather make 40,000 a year at a job they love than 100,000 a year at a job they think is boring. Wow. Matt, let me stop you there. That is a great way to go into a break here. I want to talk more about Glassdoor after the break because I think it's important what they offer. But it is time for a break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Matt Youngquist. He's the founder of Career Horizons in Seattle, Washington. After the break, we want to talk more about those workplace trends that are affecting us all. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan, and Heather Brittany for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lend us your ears. It's power time. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're here with Matt Youngquist, who is a recognized expert in the field of career coaching, job hunting, and professional employment counseling. He joins us from Seattle, Washington. Before the break, we were talking about generations, specifically the brand new generation, Gen Z, and Glassdoor. So, Matt, would you just finish your thought there? You were talking about the importance and, and the performance of Glassdoor. Would you finish up what you were thinking there for me? Oh, I was just citing the survey from Glassdoor, you know, as we talk about the different career perspectives of different generations, but that uh, a healthy chunk, 64% of millennials, say they would rather make $40,000 at a job they love than 100000 a year at a job they think is boring. And, um, you know, that, that goes to me, you know, fast forward 10 years when they've got families to feed and mortgages, will that change? You know, is that just because they're in their 20s and are more idealistic or not? But... You know, those, those trends are happening. I had someone else, this was kind of funny, that uh, we were talking about LinkedIn, and he had a picture on there, kind of wearing a ratty jacket and a wool cap down over his eyes, and I sort of said, well, you look like an unemployed halibut fisherman or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, um, and this was someone looking for, like, a high-tech or, a, you know, a, a professional job. And um, he said, well, what should it look like? And I showed him what I thought were pictures of very professional-looking photos of you and me and headshots, not ones in like a real estate agent suit and tie, but just, and his comment was, I, I hate to say this, but you all look like tools. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got to watch that line, and I said, I don't know if, if you're going to have to come to us or we're going to have to come to you, but it was an interesting perspective that we looked like we were trying too hard just by <laughs> dressing up a bit and getting a professional, you know, photo done. But uh, anyway, it'll be a fun ride. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, it is all about perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I love that. That that I find I learn something when I go and do workshops, Matt. One of the reasons I love to do workshops, and I, I go physically to a different place, a different city, a different state, a different country sometimes, and I, because I like to get that perspective of people that I don't normally interact with. They're not, maybe it's a different company that's a different business than I do. So I appreciate being able to hear those other perspectives that help me understand the rest of the world. That's just not my experience. Yeah, like I said, it's one of the one of my favorite parts is just the diversity of people I work with and hearing the different themes and memes and perspectives on things. Yeah, yeah, it's enriching. Um, well, one of the things I wanted to talk about next, and interestingly enough, I, I got this perspective while I was in Seattle back in, um, I think it was early June. I was attending a Leadership America session, and a woman named Mary O'Hara Devereaux, she's a futurist, was speaking to the group of about 35 of us women. And she said, if you are a woman today who is 50 years old and in good health, you will likely live to 100 years old. And now I am 50, uh, right at 50, I am in pretty good health. And so what she said inspired me, and but it also gave me pause. So on the one hand, it was like, great, cool. I got more time to do all the things I want to do career-wise. That's fantastic. Uh, two, wow, I better take really maybe better care of myself. If I'm going to last that long, I better make sure the body can actually handle it. So I've always thought that I'd work into my 70s, but now hearing this, maybe I think I need to work beyond that. So I'm really curious with that practical mindset of yours. What is your perspective about the financial aspect of work for us and saving for the future? And do you counsel your your clients about money management or how long they expect to work into their lives? Yeah, um, boy, this is such a, a difficult conversation our society needs to have. And, and I'm going to broaden the topic even maybe a little more. But that whole notion that, yeah, as the actuaries tell us, we're all going to live into the triple digits and and yet we know that, that some forms of age bias seem to start creeping in. I mean, even, you know, what is it, 40 years old, and suddenly you're in the protected class, you know, and you're not even halfway through your life. So how folks are going to not only financially sustain themselves, I mean, things like Social Security and such, you know, are going to help in part if, <laughs> if they're still around when we get there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a combination of, I mean, I'm not a money manager, but I certainly would, would say to a lot of people that often there is that natural bell curve of your peak earning years, let's say in your 40s, 50s, that you know, as you get older in life, you might need to start simplifying your life or budgeting or expenses and, and you know, trying to cut back so that you're not in a pinch and, uh, and broke when you're you know, just entering your golden years. So there's a lot of money management stuff that I'm not an expert on that most of your listeners probably already have someone helping with that. Um, I, guess, I guess the bigger issue is I... You know, most people I talk to, at least like probably yourself, don't anymore have the notion that they're just going to get the gold watch and suddenly go right into playing golf all day or crocheting or doing retirement. They would find that hopelessly boring and unfulfilling. So how are we going to accommodate the massive number of people that are going to want to still have some skin in the game, do something productive, and, yeah, maybe willing to take a few steps back from what they've done historically when companies seem dead set on not letting them do much else other than be a Walmart greeter or something like that? Um, that's, I, I don't know where that's going to lead, but I think society is going to have some big questions to, uh, to deal with around that. I do too, and I can tell you, Matt. I, I can I can think immediately of several people in my life who are close to me, important people in my life who are in their mid to late seventies, who are still working full time and love their work, have no intention whatsoever. Thank you very much of leaving what they're doing, 
And it's really impressive. And it helped. That's part of what kind of helped me start to think that, gosh, Elise, you know, I counsel people because people will say to me, oh, Elise, I can't change, change my field. I'm 65 years old. You know, what am I going to do? And I tell them, you know, you might work another 10 years. Or if they're, you know, 60, you might work another 15 years, whatever it is. And so I'm seeing more and more examples of people that I meet everywhere that who are well into their 70s and sometimes 80s that are still very active. And I think you're right. Society will have to be better at accommodating those. Um, some of them are actually employed as employees and others are entrepreneurs themselves. But I, I think it's a very interesting trend to, to keep track of and have on our horizons. And you're right, start to accommodate socially. Yeah, something's going to have to give there, and I think I think you're right. Entrepreneurial options and franchises, I know a few people who help people with those, and I think that is one route some people near the end of their careers look at because they probably aren't going to fire themselves. So so they'll get into a business, start a business that they can kind of, you know, uh, throttle up or down as needed. And uh, But, you know, I, I also don't think we can be naive. I mean, just unless modern science changes, there's people have are going to have more health issues later in life, and uh, companies are going to have to be more tolerant of that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a sticky, sticky wicket, as they say, and um, I, I have faith that, especially with the lobbying power of folks in, in the baby boomer group, that, that things will change, but right now, we're kind of at a standoff a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming close to the top of the hour here. I, I want to do a couple things here for our listeners before we run out of time. And um, so, the next thing I want to ask, if you would, for us, Matt, here, if just maybe if you think about some some suggestions or insights that you might have for job seekers who are trying to enter either a brand new field or maybe a brand new job, um, can you give us some ideas for those people? Uh, yeah, I get a fair amount of people looking to change careers. Uh, just in a nutshell, I would say, one, it's usually harder to do than people think because of sort of the instant gratification mindset companies seem locked in today. So you don't want to do it on a whim. It takes preparation, planning, homework, sometimes more schooling. And then the other thing I see a lot is you really want to be clear on your motivations. Why are you looking to change careers? Because some people have this grass is greener thing where they just think, well, if I was a teacher, I'd be happy, or if I was at this, I'd be happy. And when I really you know, interview them closely, sometimes it really is more of they have a bad boss or they really like what they do. They're just in the wrong company. So um, I, I don't think career change um, is as easy as some books make it, if we're talking a major one, but with planning, preparations, having those clear motivations to propel you through it, it can be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great points. Very important poignant points. I couldn't agree more. Oftentimes what I find, Matt, in my, in my research is somebody is in the right field. They're doing the right work yeah. for themselves, but they are at the wrong place. And, and, and I think that's, that's very interesting sometimes for people to make yeah. it the, 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 the uh, rec- I almost said it in Spanish. Sorry about that. I almost lost myself there in Spanish um, to, to recognize that they are in the wrong place. They're in the wrong culture. They're in the wrong environment. They can't thrive there, but they're doing the right work. Um, I think that's such an interesting point. Yeah, and others have to look at the economic reality. We tend to get paid a lot less for things we haven't done before than things we might have done for 10, 20, 30 years. So some people have more flexibility on that. Others can't take much of an uh, economic haircut. So they, that's when maybe looking at a new company, lands, you know, culture, something like that may be a better fit. But, it, you know, it's pretty situational. Mm-hmm. Well, now, what about those good people that we were just talking about earlier, those people that are a bit more, they're more seasoned out there? What advice do you have for them to remain marketable in their careers, maybe, or in the job market in general? So we're talking sort of about how to sort of combat age discrimination? Yeah, kind of thing, I think or? that's what I'm getting at. Okay. 
Yeah, that's a big issue today. It certainly goes on. There's no denying it. Um, since we can't really control, you know, at the source when some of that goes on, what I, what I try to reinforce to people, even if we shouldn't have to do this, is a lot of age discrimination is based on stereotypes. Mm-hmm. This person ha- uh, can't keep up with us. This person is behind the times in terms of technology, or they have all the answers and can't take direction from a younger boss. So when I'm working with people, and if they're concerned about that, I just say, well, let's, let's make sure we don't reinforce those stereotypes. Um, so some people are, you know, dressing in a way that's 20 years out of date, which may just signal to the employer they, you know, they sort of gave up or they haven't kept their skills up to date. I also see people like marketing people who don't know anything about social media or say it's a fad, and I just kind of go, well, that's not age discrimination. That's just you abdicating responsibility for keeping up in your field. I mean, <laughs> so it it cuts both ways, um, and sort of the final annoying coaching question I'll ask some people that really seem fixated on that being what's holding them back. I will say, as you're out talking to employers and interviewing or whatnot, I said, are you acting like your best days are behind you or in front of you? Because if you're just telling war stories about how great you used to were with not much, I said, well, that's going to, you know, that's going to send a signal to them versus someone who seems to believe, hey, this next five years or in the future, that's what's really got me jazzed and I'm going to go kick butt for an employer. And you don't see a lot of people in the older age bracket looking ahead. A lot of them are just, like I said, giving you their war stories from from the past. Mm. No surprise that you would answer that so succinctly, Matt. Thank you for that. (laughs) We've got just a little bit of time left. Can I just ask you here in maybe 30 seconds or so to maybe share just any final pearls of wisdom or insight that you want to be sure and impart to our listeners today before we close? Well, I I guess, yeah, I appreciate that. Two things real quick would be, as you've heard me say time and time again, job hunting is a serious project. It's, It's a you know, it's a challenge, but most people I work with have solved really tough projects in their careers, their lives, and if they approach it the same way, break it down into its components, take it one step at a time, you know, take it seriously, good things usually happen. And then lastly, and I've got to watch out for this, as cynical as we can be about certain things, um, in journalism they call it the mean world syndrome, where it seems like every time you turn on the TV, things are awful. And when you really stop and look around, and like I said, I, I most people are working still and doing just fine and you just got to remind yourself sometimes that you know despite all of these some of these trends things are still a lot better than they could be or certainly a lot better than some other places in the world and so you got to keep that perspective got it thank you matt great way to finish really appreciate you appreciate you being on the show thanks for making time for me thank you very much for joining me this afternoon great to have you here Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So if you want to learn more about Matt Youngquist and Career Horizons, you can visit his website at www.career-horizons.com. What a fun conversation and very enlightening as I knew it would be, Matt. Many great points you gave us today. Lots to chew on, lots of things to keep us uh, on the straight and narrow. So very much appreciate you being here. And remember, listeners, what I like to always say, work is one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.